millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, it's Lainey. Hey, it's Duanna. And welcome to Show Your Work, where we talk about our love of work, specifically related to Hollywood and our jobs but listen, in Hollywood or adjacent to Hollywood. If you want to show off how you rock those accounts in, you know, <laughs> rear marketing, like I will read that. Absolutely. Show your work wherever. I just want to, before we begin, um, read a snippet from one of the best emails I received this week. Thank you all of you for sending us your tweets and your emails. I can't write back to every single one, but I try and read every single one. And this one came to us from Simone. And Simone uh, enjoys the podcast. Thank you, Simone. And she told us that she did. And then she said, Anyway, Lainey, I think I figured out why you love Duanna so much. Because her voice sounds exactly like Gwyneth Paltrow. Has anyone said that before? And no, I, <laughs> I forwarded it to you with just basically ha 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 and then more ha 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 ha's um, because I know how you feel about Gwyneth Paltrow, and Simone kind of like is right. You do have the same timber. What does that mean? Like on the one hand, there's me, and on the other hand, there's Gwyneth. Uh, the Spence School, east side of New York, Paltrow, which, by the way, you said Paltrow, which I feel is like a real, uh, you know, she's your pal. Um, That's actually how she pronounces her last oh name. Oh, my God. And We're don't right challenge the me. Don't challenge me on this one. Like, I don't disagree. I just can't believe we're at minute two and we're <laughs> already in this level of, like, Fighting adoration. about pronunciation on names? Yes. Explain to me what cadence or what what did you say? Timber. It's timber. I mean, both of you have a voice that is on the low side of the register. Oh yeah. Like I have a man voice. Yes. You don't have a man voice. Um, but on the, like, for example, I'm shrill and screechy. Yes. And your voices are nice and low. No, it's super low. Like when you are, uh, hang out with me now, I have a low voice. And when you are a choir nerd, uh, as we talked this week about Tina Fey, choir nerd, uh, there is a sexy, unsexy sort of paradigm that you can get in when you have a low voice and you're like, I don't know, man, if you're an alto, that's one thing. If you're a second alto, you might be fucked. You might just have a voice that is too low. I am aware of this, but Gwyneth Paltrow, so I feel like she has like… I just, can hear it in you now. This is really weird. Like there's too much air in her sinuses or something. No, I mean, look, she's stuck up, or the impression that she gives people is that she's stuck up, so people like hear the nasal. Do you hear nasal. this apologizing for her already? No, I'm, I, I'm just saying I can hear it now, Gwyneth Paltrow, Duanna. So, and here I was going to start off with a preamble. Well, we should tell people though. 
I mean, have we told people about how we met? Which is to say that we didn't meet, which is to say that for six months, something close to that. Maybe even longer. We had a phone relationship or a one-sided phone relationship because I could see you when you did five-minute television hits from Vancouver. Yes. And we would prep on the phone in the days before FaceTime because we're 100. Yes, we really are. And we talk on the phone. We would talk on the phone for a long time, but you did not know what I looked like. Nope. You knew what I looked like. That's right. I didn't know what you looked like. And we had this friendship that was based on the phone. That's right. So in theory, we were supposed to only talk once a week to talk about my stories. And then I would do my stories on eTalk via satellite. But we ended up, for whatever reason, talking on Sunday nights for four hours. They were supposed to be 10, 15-minute calls. Yeah, they got epic rather quickly. Right, because my hits were typically on Mondays. Right. And on Sundays, we would prep my hits. Because you got to be newsworthy. Um, but yeah, we would talk about the content of the hits for whatever, 15 minutes, and then we'd just start talking about books and everything else. I have visceral memories about learning about Jessica Darling at that time. Yes. But I'm just saying, it's been some time now. You've not brought this up. We were exclusively audio only for a long time, and I never heard this from you then. Yeah, but that's just the whole thing of what's that expression? It was under my nose the whole time, and I didn't see it. Is that an expression? Isn't it? I don't know. I was going to start off with a nice preamble for you, telling you about how, you know, I was excited about the one royal I am excited about, as you are all the time, is Prince George, and they've decided <laughs> to break with tradition in his primary school, but now I'm not going to. So. Why don't we... I haven't heard about this. What? So, the the expectation was that George would go to Weatherby, as William went to Weatherby, as Harry went to Weatherby, but instead, he is going to a primary school entitled... Thomas's apostrophe intended, Battersea, and one of the reasons, I think it's meant to be, you know, less maybe uptight and blah, 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 and whatever, but right. also Weatherby is single sex and uh, Thomas's is not, it's co-ed. So according to, I think it's Vanity Fair, Kate prefers that so that Charlotte can go to the same school so that they're not at two different schools. Okay. So I remember, I just remember the pictures of when William and Harry went to school for the first time and it looked like it was outside of a townhouse, right? I mean, everything looks like it's outside a townhouse in London, but there were those steps and they literally looked like they were going into literally a row house. Sure. Um, So that was what, an at-home daycare? No, that would have been like their, like that could have been their, their nursery, right? As they would, or not nursery, what would they call it? Maybe, uh, oh, wait, 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 what do they call it? No, I'm sure it was the school. Okay, so then there you go. So then that was Weatherby then. Yeah. Um, But what do they call it? Infants. That's what they call it. When I was an infant, blah, blah, blah. That may be an Irish term as well, but I've definitely heard it in Britain. Uh, So George is breaking with tradition there. Uh, Sidebar, I'm a big school nerd. This is not on our official agenda, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But if you are the kind of posh people who send your child to posh schools and who would choose a single sex school, would you change your mind if you then had a son and a daughter as opposed to two sons? Because I can see how this was something that just didn't come up before. Well, not for obviously William and Harry. Right. And in previous generations to that, nobody cared about who liked what. Right. Similarly, it was not an issue for the Beatrices and Eugenies of the world, right? 
And also, they're really close in age, aren't they, George and Charlotte? They're like a fine. year? No, 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 no. They're like two years. Like, okay. That's what people do, kind of. Well, does it cost? Like, oh, is it a public? Sorry, are you actually just asking about if it costs too much? No, it's a fee paying school. But, like, can anybody go now? No, like, I everybody think else, are they going to be like, fuck, I got to go to Thomas's? Yes. In fact, uh, there was an indication that there were parents at Thomas's who were worried that uh, fees would be raised. Or, hilariously, somebody said, uh, what if my kid bites him? I, listen, I think he's the biter. But, yeah, I would have the same concerns, wouldn't you? What if your kid was the one that fucking bit the king? That is a story I would tell up and down the length of the British Empire. You would, but there were there are many people out there who would be goddamn mortified. But that's why I'm me. Great. We've established that. It's true. Yes, and you def- you so you've just defended in two weeks in a row, you have defended uh Prince William and his quote work shyness and um, no, no, no. this had nothing to do with work shyness. This is about Co-ed education and modernization and, uh, you know, being Defended the parent of the biter who bites Prince William. Basically. Uh, (laughs) Moving on, we actually had a top story uh, that just got bumped for uh, Prince George's primary school. As as you were. But seriously, get in touch with me about these single-sex school questions because I'm very curious about what happens. What if you have three girls and then a boy? Are you like, "Mm, just wear the uniform and go anyway? So our top story was before Prince George took over, because, again, that's what he does, um, is Rihanna. Finally, we can get to Rihanna. Uh, Rihanna. The reason why we wanted to talk about Rihanna this week is because um, last week, her is I think it's three-episode, her three-episode arc on Bates Motel began, and it's a big deal. It's a huge deal because... It's the exact opposite of everything you expect. So there's a picture that I'm going to uh, upload to the article for the podcast. And you can see me walking into a bodega late on Tuesday night. P.S. We never say bodegas. Uh, We would say corner store. So that's why I'm really proud of myself for pulling this off. And it looks like the store is empty except for two big flat screen TVs. In fact, everybody is clustered behind me. Because everybody did what I did, which was walked in, saw Bates Motel up on the flat screens and went, is that Rihanna? Like person after person did this and the people behind the counter were spellbound. It's a big deal. Uh, And it's unlike anything we expected of her. And then, of course, the day after, on Vulture, they published an interview with the Bates Motel showrunners about casting Rihanna and what it was like to work with Rihanna. And what I loved about this interview, and I suspect you too, was they actually talked about what it was like to work with Rihanna. It wasn't so much like, oh, she's like amazing and like her hair is so beautiful and whatnot. It was about the fact that she rearranged her tour. Her tour. So she was on tour at the time. It was the anti-tour. She rearranged the dates on the tour so she could go to Vancouver, shoot her scenes. It was a very tight schedule. 
Uh, they didn't have a lot of room to play with because, you know, she moved those dates around and then she had to fly back and resume touring. So it's not like, you know, she had a lot of free time. And also it's not as though she did this work on Bates Motel and then had a few days to relax. She had to go back on tour. Right. And I should say episodic television is always that way. It's not like a movie where if you're in a movie, give or take, if the movie's shooting for 10 weeks, depending on who you are, they're going to book you for 10 weeks and you might have a random Thursday off here or there or whatever. And that can happen on a show if you're a regular. You know, you watch uh, Friday Night Lights. Ask me why I brought that up in a minute. And you'll be like, whoa, where was Tyra this week? She was by the lockers and then otherwise had the week off. Right. But if you are Rihanna, they are planning for every single second of when they have you, including Bates Mattel is the kind of show that has night shoots and outdoor night. She may well have arrived and had to do a night scene right away, which is to say that's a 12-hour overnight right away as your first, you know piece of work. So it's always extremely tight. It's not luxurious on episodic television. So yes, that that was fascinating for sure. Well, I mean, and that is directly addressed by Carlton Cuse during the interview where he says, quote, we were trying to shoot an amazing amount of work to fully develop the character and it takes a lot of time to film that. People were like, you should temper your expectations. You should cut the amount of pages she has to shoot. So, I mean, that's specific work talk, which I love and Mm -hmm. is pornographic for both of us when Mm -hmm. they're thinking and considering of cutting pages to accommodate this big star. And and Carlton Cuse continues, we didn't cut the pages. She showed up. She worked her ass off. She was fully committed. I love that. So another thing is that uh, television dramas are measured by pages per day. If you see a show like what we call a three-camera sitcom, A three camera is uh, Big Bang Theory or Friends or whatnot, which is to say they do it like a stage play with breaks and all the cameras are running, capturing everything. If you're watching a, what we call a single camera, it means that we're looking at one person at a time. It's actually kind of on any show, you're looking at one person at a time. But the point is you have to move the camera all the time. And so knowing that you have to move the camera around, reset everything, relight everything, Dramas are measured in pages per day. So, for example… And before you continue, Mm -hmm. for example, um, and just as a very, very general rule, single camera shows Mm -hmm. are considered to be more prestigious. Now. Now they are. Uh, There was a time when the three-camera sitcom was king. You know, uh, friends, obviously, need we say more? I mean, look, let's not beat around the bush here. Like… Still, Big Bang Theory is the biggest hit going by a massive, massive of margin. Course. Did you read that article about how rich they all are? Like, it's insane. Of course. But I'm talking about the era of peak TV. Which yes. Is if you're the, talking the about… The lingo of this golden age, this platinum age of television, peak TV, it's mostly single camera. Yes. It's mostly prestigious. I thought you were going to ask how long they are. Uh, and just to be pedantic, uh, loosely speaking, a script is supposed to be a minute per page. Yeah. On a network. So that means a network hour, which is something that airs with commercials, is supposed to be around 47 pages. Uh, a cable drama like this one might come in at 56, 58 pages because it's closer to a real hour. And because I can't resist and because we haven't done this to Yasik in a while, 
Gilmore Girls scripts, which were a network hour, regularly came in between 75 and 77 pages. Because they talk so fast. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, for example, to go back to your point, we were talking about night shoots. We were talking about page. And they didn't cut the pages for Rihanna. That's right. Right. They expected to get done as much as they usually get done. And so I appreciate that that is the part about it that you love the most. The part about it that I love the most is that they heard that she was, you know, a fan of the show and, oh, well, this would be cool. What about Rihanna? And, you know, we've all kind of gone through this. And I think everybody knows sort of this concept, even if it's not your business, the ask goes out. And I would say 70% of the time across the board, like whatever, modeling, guest on, on the social, on any show, you know, the ask goes out. Even when somebody's a fan, it's like, oh, thank you. That's so great. But it won't fit into our schedule or this or that or whatever. Right? Yep. She rapidly responded and was like, no, no, I'm doing this. Who ditches a tour to go and do a TV show? (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, Bates Motel is Bates Motel. It's not a shitty TV show, but I wouldn't say it's like a hot, everybody talks about it. Everybody like blogs about it. You know, there are think pieces and and this and that. It's not one of those shows either. And I would argue it's not one of those shows just because the landscape is crowded, right? Like we have so much good uh, that it's not. But no, it's because people are still talking about The Walking Dead, like enough already. But yes. So yeah, for both of us seeing Rihanna's enthusiasm and then they said she came to set, all the pages were shot. They said that she was totally down with the crew. Um, it was a great experience for her. Everything was done on time. She was totally committed. My question to you afterwards, when we were texting back and forth about this, is typically we've seen big pop stars fail at being actors. Madonna Mm -hmm. can't do it. Mm. All love to Beyonce. Bajancy don't come for me. Beyonce can't do it. No, asterisk. Keep going. And Gaga won a Golden Globe for American Hotel Horror, horror Story, yeah, whatever. Horror, American Horror Story Hotel, was right. it that season? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Ryan uh, Murphy. Yes, we said the good fight was the good life last week. So uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, but Gaga's role on Horror Story was campy, vampy, over the top, extra. It wasn't, I don't know that it was like playing a character like you would in a Kenneth Lonergan film, for example. But the thing is actually that, first of all, let's just point something out here. Rihanna's reputation prior to this has been Rihanna. She's fascinating. She's wonderful. I am so into her that I'll read articles about her chef as though though that matters. I I love that article. It was great. But she's not Beyonce. She's not even Madonna, right? We have not heard in the past, Rihanna is exacting. Rihanna works 28 hours a day until she gets it right. Rihanna's a perfectionist. Rihanna's a, no. Ever, right? It's a little messy with Rihanna by brand. Like, I don't know that Rihanna, her persona is crafted around military precision. In fact, it's more shoot from the hip. There was, was it last year's VMAs? I have no idea. Remember the... 
performance. Oh, the medley. She did a medley too. And it was just 800 people dancing on stage at random. And she was like, whatever, whatever, it'll be good. And it kind of was. So this is a real departure from that. This is a real, I will subscribe to a schedule. I will subscribe to being not number one on the call sheet. Uh, Shorthand, number one is the most important on any given picture. She was definitely not. And number one never changes. So for example, in Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe is always number one. Uh, Rupert Grint is always number two. Boom, boom, forever and ever and ever. And that means something. Even if that day... Rupert Grint's scenes numbered more than Daniel's. Oh, then it would say, That's or right. even if Daniel's not even in, yeah. it would say, okay, who are the actors who are in today? Yeah. Two, Two five, five, seven, yeah. and 58. Exactly. Rihanna, I don't know Bates Hotel well enough to know, but I would wager that her cast number is between uh, 45 and 60. There we go again. I think it's Bates Motel. What did I say? Hotel. <laughs> Life. Definitely. Choice. <laughs> Wife. <laughs> it's definitely Bates Motel. Uh, I'm just being plied with uh, Okanagan <laughs> brute here. Um, anyway, no, you're right. Rihanna would not have been number one on the call sheet. Um, and as opposed to probably when Madonna and Beyonce do movies, they're number one on the call sheet. Oh. Right. But this is actually the solution to the problem that you're pointing out. Uh, can pop stars transition into performing? Guest roles. Get your baby feet wet. There is no... It's such a thankless task to, you know, headline a movie and have every frame be on your face. And I always uh, relish the opportunity to reference my Beyonce documentary, as you know, or pardon me, my Beyonce biography that I love, uh, that I read all the time, but uh, J. Randy Tabarelli. They talk at length about the differences involved in getting her to be comfortable shooting Carmen, a hip hopera, uh, the official name of her first role. It was hard for her to do. It's a lot of pressure. If you're Rihanna, even in a high-profile role, you come in, you do your four days, everybody in the bodega gasps, is that Rihanna? And then you leave again. Then you're out. Leave them wanting more. And you kind of can get your feet wet without the whole thing resting on your shoulders. And I think it's super smart. There's an asterisk to that too because she was playing the Janet Lee role, right? Mm -hmm. The shower, the infamous psycho Mm -hmm. shower. And so… It is an iconic character. Mm-hmm. She is arguably Rihanna, an iconic artist. But yeah, there is still something to be said about coming in and out. I'll do the iconic character. I am iconic, but there's still not that pressure. It's really interesting. Like, there wasn't all that hype beforehand either. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, it was Rihanna's debut on, on Bates, and we didn't hear like all kinds of interviews and there wasn't like, you know, I didn't, I don't remember seeing headlines all over the place. Like this weekend on Bates Motel, Rihanna, Rihanna, Rihanna. They really kind of undercovered their way into it. Do you find? Well, she didn't do a lot of press about it because what for? What's she going to say? Yeah, it was good. She's going to have to be trotted out for press like mad when she does Ocean's 8, uh, when that's released in uh, the upcoming sort of Summer, fall season. But again, as you said, not number one on the call sheet and certainly not number two. I think it's Sandra Bullock and then Kate Blanchett. Oh, absolutely. She's way down there. But the requests will come in, right? You of know, when, uh, when Elle or whoever puts eight different covers out with eight different people and there will be interviews and somebody will sing with James Corden and so forth. And so I think this was 
even more interesting because it was so about her love of the show and about getting to do a fun thing. I Now that, like, you're talking about positions on the call sheet and all the projects, the acting projects that she has done, I think about that. She, she did do that blockbuster movie. Um, oh, God. Oh, like, I remember. Was it was like on a boat? Yeah, Battleship. A boat, see? Um, <laughs> and it was her, but it was Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch, Alexander Skarsgård. And so she wouldn't have been number one on the call sheet there either. Um, so it's all these ensemble sort of… It's not about that. It's about somebody. Yeah. And again, we said last week, I don't know who's in charge of Yara Shahidi's career. I don't know who's in charge of Rihanna's career above and beyond Rihanna. Somebody is taking this in baby steps to groom her for ever-increasing roles of prominence. If and when Rihanna takes on a lead role, it's going to be five to six years from now. Uh, and, you know, without digressing altogether, we could actually compare her to Mandy Moore. Don't kill me. Okay. Okay, guys, let's just have a go. Let's just come <laughs> to Jesus. Okay, let's come to Jesus for a second. I have to cough, like, over what you just said. I annoyed some people a few weeks ago when I <sighs> compared Kristen Stewart to Hillary Swank. I also impressed some people who agreed with me. Can we accept This the- is a greater leap. You just... Rihanna and Mandy Moore? Can you calm down for a second? Sometimes we're not comparing people because of their relative level of current Instagram jack-off fame, okay? Like, accept that Mandy Moore can sing. Mandy Moore uh, was a manufactured pop artist and said that her first two albums should have everybody's money back, but Mandy Moore can sing. Agree or disagree? Agree. Great. Uh, Mandy Moore stepped into acting in measured small steps. A Walk to Remember was a almost a hybrid of not even a particularly Mandy Moore Christian teendom, but of what we were supposed to expect of pop stars at that point. In the late 90s and early 2000s, we were supposed to believe they were all waiting for marriage. They were all super Christian. Like, even Christina Aguilera was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, (laughs) And she was almost stepping into a caricature of that. Let's leave aside a walk to remember because nobody expected it to be as successful as it was. All those other roles that she did, uh, uh, the Sarah Dessen movie um, and... The one where she, uh, because I said so, with Diane Keaton. What about the one where she's the first daughter? Yep. Chasing Liberty. And, um, (laughs) right? I saw both Chasing Liberty and First Daughter. Chasing Liberty is really better. I Uh, did really like the one with Macaulay Culkin, where they're all like Bible kids. Yes. And saved, which again, that was a relatively small role, but the first time she got to play against type, as we say. The first time where she got to play not the good girl, right? Right. She, I think she was had a few lines in the Princess Diaries movies in the beginning. My point is that they were relatively small steps, and when they were bigger, when they were the Sarah Dessen movie that I can't remember. Uh, Nobody cared. Exactly, but that's a benefit. If you are, my favorite thing that has ever been said to me about this business is, it's not a race, baby, it's a marathon. Uh 
put aside for a second that a marathon is a race. It's not a sprint. <laughs> it's a marathon. If you are playing the long game, then Mandy Moore learned about things like hitting your mark and finding your light and dealing with being on a set on movies that people don't care about such that she was ready for the opportunity to now headline the biggest network show of the 2016-17 season. This is a gigantic segue, so I don't know how much more time we have to devote to this, but Mandy Moore has had so many turnaways. I mean, how many pilots has she put out? Or has she been replaced in? I mean, there were like oh no 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 and lots. Like, tell me when is that going to happen to Rihanna? It happens all the time. Okay. Oh my! God. You just gave a comparison between yes, Rihanna I- and Mandy Moore, and I'm telling you, great! I'm so happy that Mandy Moore is now finding it with This Is Us. But- I'm not. This is not about a defense of Mandy Moore. First of all, pilots get killed when people are in them all the time. I could we could find them. People get recast. All the time. Right. So where is the equivalent of that happening to Rihanna? We are not there yet. Rihanna is not going to be in Cancel Pilot. You don't know or that. not eight of them anyway. Yeah, it was never eight. Like, I don't know when this became the Bash Mandy Moore hour. I'm not we bashing her. to do here. But I don't, I don't think that it's like a revisionist history on Mandy Moore either. My point. <laughs> you walk people into roles slowly and then they get ready. And then when they're ready, then they gain experience. Then they are ready. I don't know what the role is that Rihanna is going to take when she's 37, swans onto the scene in her first role and walks away with an Oscar. I would like to leave the podcast now and go write it. (laughs) But the point is that these are all very measured steps. And I mean, we should all be watching Bates Motel, I guess. Okay, next. I mean, it's a good segue. I'm not going to make it cheesy, but when we talk about steps, uh, Jenny Slate has been making some steps. and I mean, you made it a segue. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so this week, Jenny Slate's Vulture interview comes out. Everybody's talking about it. Like, still talking about it. That came out, what, on Monday? Like, Tuesday. Tuesday, or, yeah. Sure. I mean, mid last week. Um, everybody's talking about it. And, of course, the major headline because she spends most of the interview talking about it, is him. It's Chris Evans and their relationship and what made it work. And most importantly, or the big headline was why it didn't work. Probably the most candid, and as Sarah wrote on our site, um, refreshingly sort of open, overshare interview that we've had in a while. It, it, It just doesn't, like, I mean... We don't have celebrities talking about why exactly and breaking down their uh, relationship with Captain America didn't work out. Well, tell me a bit more about that. Where did you feel that she did that? Because while I felt like it was super open and charming, and I definitely felt like I got, you know, a half day with Jenny Slate or whatever I was supposed to feel, uh, P.S., I still have not cut my hair into her curl fro that I want to do. I don't know if I heard the specifics so much as it was hard. It wasn't easy. We didn't, it wasn't a clean break. It was all of these things. Tell me the things that resonated with you. I particularly 
enjoyed or not enjoyed, but one of the parts that people talked about was when she said that they would go out and he was constantly sexualized. And of course, how, how many women would be able to relate to that? Like I, I could relate to that. Imagine dating the prom king or whoever and being like, oh, a girl and everybody being like, holy fuck, that is the hottest guy ever. And then in your mind, you're like, what is he doing with me? Or are like, are people thinking, what is he doing with me? Like that was really, to me, I really appreciated her sharing that. So that's number one. Okay. So here's what's so interesting about that. You and I have talked before about the fact that as much as we try not to focus on physical flaws and all that kind of thing, you always seem to notice on other people what you don't love in yourself, right? Yeah. So, for example, I got a thin lip. Um, time for the weekly shout out to my mom. <laughs> I got a thin lip. Hi, mom. Um, so I always notice people who have nice, full, natural lips. But I never pay attention to, I don't know, sticky out ears or knobby knees or whatever because I feel okay about my ears and my knees. I didn't think about that Jenny Slate quote at all. I didn't think about that thing that he was sexualized at all. What I did think about was the corollary to that where she said, because it was hard for him to go out, we stayed in. But I like to go out and talk to people and be on the street and blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, that's a fundamental difference right there. That's a, a difference in your modus operandi. Please continue. There was also the part where she said how they get on right now. And so I quote, she says, we're not on bad terms, but we haven't really seen each other or spoken a lot. I think it's probably best. I love, I'd love to be his friend one day, but we threw down pretty hard. Mm -hmm. No regrets though, ever. That's the quote that a lot of people are, are calling up too. We threw down pretty hard. Why? What does that mean to people? I think what it means to some people is that it was of like a dramatic break. Right. When you throw down pretty hard, it was, you picture it, it's tears, it's, I don't know, slamming doors, it's shouting, whatever. Um, so, I mean, listen, we all interpret interviews in different ways. Mm -hmm. Your interpretation of it clearly was, it was honest, but maybe not as detailed as everybody is making it sound. Kind but, of. Or yeah. given that Jenny Slate is Jenny Slate, um, you know, it's not that detailed for her, right? Like this is somebody who talks later in the interview about the female anatomy in detail and various other things. And like, you know, her feature film sort of breakout was about a positive, happy abortion. So she's already way to the left on the sharing scale. And she does these shows, right? Her, her shows that she does, you can call them confessional. Sometimes it's stand-up. I've heard people have written in to tell us that, you know, they've bought tickets to see her shows, but if she's feeling very emotional that day, she'll throw out the routine and she'll just talk about how she's feeling. So you're right in that this is just who Jenny Slate is. And yet... Because we've been so accustomed to the wall and the veil that comes down. Yeah, I'm nodding vigorously. Um, when we read something like this, it feels so new. Well, that to me is the key here. It's not that it's so crazy revealing. It's that it's so crazy revealing in 
an interview with a star, right? Like within this uh, vulture format of a profile of an actress and we get to know what she's wearing and the the cute we could be friends detail that they always put in right off the top. Um, The last one that I read was about Jennifer Lawrence and all I really knew was that her bed was on the floor. Like this is hyper detailed for presenting somebody like a movie star, right? That's what's so different about it. It is so different. And what's also interesting is that all of that, and I want to ask you whether or not in the end this is really an effective piece, because after all of the focus on her discussing her relationship and her divorce and Chris Evans, what most people overlooked was a quote in this article where she says, I was just like, I want viability as an American film actress. I want to find my own seat at the main dinner table because I want to do this forever. And I want to show that it doesn't always have to be a bikini model opposite Captain America. Oh my God. So this is work talk. This is ambition talk. This is strategy and career talk. Have we had the word ambition come up on this podcast before? I don't know that we have focused on it? Have we made it like its own character and given it a, quote, seat at the table? I have been, I was shocked to learn well into my adulthood that there are people who think ambition is a dirty word. I didn't know that before. I understand it now that people use ambitious with, synonymous with, you know, sort of striving and climbing and to the exclusion of all else, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know that. And it is openly... Yeah, it's an open statement. I want viability as an American film actress. I want to find my own seat at the main dinner table. That's a statement of purpose right there. It's not like… Oh, there's so much to… Like, there's so much for us to break down here. Like, first of all, an American film actress. She's not saying TV. Mm -mm. She wants to be in movies. Right. And she wants to be at the main dinner table. So it's not just indie movies right? The main dinner table is the big studio picture. That's right. And, you know, maybe too what's interesting about this profile is that in a different version of things, this would be, here I go with a comparison again, this would be interviewing, say, Drew Barrymore after her divorce from so-and-so Copelman that nobody remembers his first name. Well, you know, usually, I'm just going to get straightforward about it, usually the less attractive, the less famous, the less movie star of the couple is not the one who gets the profile. And then she takes this profile and she says right there, I'm coming for all of you. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. Hi, Jennifer Lawrence. Hi, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, it is… And again, like right now she occupies a certain corner in Hollywood, right? Like you've, the, you, you, you mentioned Obvious Child… She did Marcel the Shell. I mean, it's this, listen, Hollywood talks in stereotypes and in categories, so I'm just going to use their language, right? That quirky girl. Sure, manic pixie dream girl. There you go. It's, it's not, nobody's having a conversation about Jenny Slate where she's being considered for the same roles as Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett Johansson. No, but she could do, you know, 700 Days of Summer, the sequel to 500 Days. That's not a real movie. No, she, she could do Emma Stone. No. Come on. Nope. Uh, Okay, look. 
Those do big I, eyes, those like, oh, I'm so, kind of innocent, but I've got a weird giggle and, a, and you know, a funky sense of humor. Who are you asking? Are you asking me or are you asking like the American producers, uh, the movie going public and whatnot? I think that's what she's asking. She's like, why can't I be considered for the same roles as, as Emma Stone? Yes, agreed. But she's not that. We're not, I guess what we were talking in, in archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think that the Emma Stone archetype is... I'm an ingenue who doesn't know she's super sexy. Like, it's that, uh, you know, that easy A thing has morphed into an ingenue thing. Yes, Jenny Slate could absolutely have done easy A, for example. Right. So, I mean, what she's saying here and what makes it all the more interesting and complicated and so kind of, I don't know… We have to take another look at it is, as you said, here's the girl who was dating the big Captain America, and um, she talks about how he was sexualized, people wouldn't leave him alone, and then she's like, oh, but hey, I kind of want the equivalent of that as an actress. Well, that's way more interesting, isn't it? It is, because I wonder, too, if… You know, for all this time, we were like, oh, man, like, dating Jenny Slate made Chris Evans cool. But in some way, Jenny Slate's like, let me use you. Oh. You can see that now? Sure. I thought you were saying something else, which is, in certain circles, you know, and like, let's let's just say everybody's not as much of an asshole as I'm going to make them out to be, but let's say, in certain circles… Jenny Slate's cred goes down for dating somebody as straight arrow as a Chris Evans. If she cares about cred in that area. But what? she's telling us that she kind of has her sights set on a different area. I disagree with you. I think she's saying, I'm bringing me and all this indie cred over to that area. I know it's different, but it's similar. You know, it's that idea of why can't an indie actress open a big studio picture, I don't think it's the same thing as saying, I want to shuck off all this indie Marcel uh, open mic in favor of the big time. But I do think that there's something to it where she's like, well, fuck it. It didn't work out, but I'll still try and take it for everything I can get out of it. Oh, yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not mad at that. No. I am not mad at that. And look, who among us has not my story that I tell all the time is that the reason I am a screenwriter beyond, you know, some interest in when I was in school is that I had a roommate who was already a screenwriter and who every day was asking me for jokes. And while I was going off to my job, I was like, why aren't I doing that? I want to do that. Who among us has not become exposed to something via somebody else and then been like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want a piece of that for me. Right? There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that game. There's no shame in her going, wow, look at the piles of scripts he gets. Look at the respect that he gets in a meeting. Who knows what? And going, yeah, no, this is for me. I, I'm hanging on for the ride for this. Okay, so question. In 2022, yep. five years, yes. if Jenny Slate gets to the main table, mm-hmm. that's how she does she give interviews like this anymore? Where she talks about the latest relationship that didn't work out. Or maybe she's in a relationship and… I say yes, asterisk. 
Uh, I watched on Oscar Day this year when you were already in your finery. Uh, I watched a one of those Barbara Walters interviews with the most fascinating people. And it was Jennifer Lawrence, and she was so crashingly boring. I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is boring, but this was mind-numbing. And I was reminded of that quote that gets quoted and misquoted all the time about how you are the age that you are when you become famous. Right. So depending on the level of fame you think Jenny Slate has currently achieved, uh, my marker is always like, you know, do people at the bank know who she is? I say no right now. Right. So if you believe she is not yet famous, she's 35, as it says in this article. So in five years' time, she's 40. I say she has retained a certain amount of herself. Yes. Uh, a decent a decent amount of herself to be able to give interviews like this still, if not many. Right? They're more select in venue. Yeah. That's my, that's my bet. You? I, I mean, I'm the cynic and I feel like they… Sometimes you are. Sometimes you let me take the role. Um, and I just feel like, I mean, we've seen it so many times where at the beginning they're one thing and then it happens and then all these people are surrounding them and you can't get to them without getting to five others. But can you think of a comparable example? Today is all, all about comparisons, but all those… Like, who are you thinking of who used to be wonderful and then… Okay. You compared Rihanna and Mandy Moore. Here's one. I don't like your posture right now. Yes. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. Yeah. Are you serious? There you go. No, no, no. Oh, okay. When uh, you get big, you have to go through eight different people. She was a child. She was so… She was a paper… I'm really offended that you chose this comparison. I'm offended that you compared Manny Moore to Rihanna. Oh, my Christ. You guys, like, <laughs> I don't, I did not expect that this was every week going to be like a weigh-in, like, agree with me or agree with you. And, like, <laughs> your name's on the website, so it's a stacked deck. But comparing Rihanna to Mandy Moore is not the same as comparing, excuse me, Taylor Swift to Jenny Slate? Uh it's, it's not just, you can't compare everybody just because they have curly hair, Elaine. <laughs> I'm, I didn't even notice. I didn't even recall that they both had curly hair. Stammer, I'm just stammer. telling you that you asked me to cite an example of how as soon as that big main table thing happens, well then, eight different people are in the way and the candor and the sort of off-the-cuffness goes away. Okay, but… I don't know. First of all, she was never, like, actually authentic Taylor Swift because, see my earlier point, she was 16. This is a bullshit comparison. I just made a salient point earlier about how Jenny Slate is 35 as of press time. Uh, it's 20 years of life experience, and one thinks her quirk is authentic. I... I find this to be a deeply problematic comparison. I reject the premise. If you can come up with somebody who's, like I keep just thinking about George Clooney, who is not the ideal example, but who was an no, adult No, that person. quote really applies to George Clooney. In like fact, where didn't he originate it? He, I don't know if he originated it, but I feel like I want to give him credit for making it famous. Mm -hmm. Whereas he says, like, ER only happened when he was in his 30s, right? Right. So he had all kinds of debauchery and living and mistakes that he made that nobody fucking cared about 
Exactly. Yeah. And then ER, as big as it was at the time, had nothing on the heights that he later has climbed to. Uh, I propose that that's a better comparison for this conversation than Taylor goddamn Swift. Great. So our first two topics have resulted in impasses. Good. Excellent. Fights, fights, fights. Okay. Excellent. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, Number three. Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean. <laughs> okay, so um, Gwyneth is Goop. The blog, the website, the lifestyle, the brand is now branching into vitamins. And there was a hilarious article. I found it hilarious because I, I think that the New Yorker was mocking her. Um, in the New Yorker, this week, basically the writer had spent a day at Goop headquarters with Gwyneth chronicling how Gwyneth behaved. Um, we will link to it in the post for this podcast. But again, this is Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, there is the skincare line, there are the eggs that you put up your vagina, her clothing line, and now it's a line of vitamins. And those eggs are like present tense. I thought they were, you know, a limited time item or fad. Apparently, they're still going. Yeah, they're like jade eggs, and for a while they were sold out. Maybe they still are. Um, I don't know if you want to get right into it, but I wanted to talk to you about the section in this article, it's The New Yorker, where… Um, they they reveal that her title is now CEO. Okay. Do you remember that part? Go so, on. Um, so she, she basically has invited this writer to attend a meeting uh, between her and her staff at Goop headquarters, and they're looking at the vitamins and they're assessing the packaging. And then at a certain point, um, they – I'm quoting from the article now. They moved to a mock-up of a Goop newsletter, which included a title beside Paltrow's name, CEO. Have we discussed that? Paltrow asked, indicating her new position, which had not been announced. I think we just do it, one of her colleagues said. Um, Last year, Goop raised $15 million in VC, blah, 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 blah. Um, At the prospect of revealing her new boardroom role, Paltrow groaned. Ugh, you guys are giving me, I don't know, how do you say this word? Agata, A-G-I-T-A. Agata, I guess, yeah. yeah. Ugh, you guys are giving me agata, she said. She banged her fists on her desk, rattling the vials of vitamins and pretended to pout. Can't this be your subtle coming out party? Another staff member says. I guess so, Paltrow said. Oh, I mean, I'm already over it, but yes, Okay, you, you see where I'm going. I guess so, Paltrow said. I mean, the board did make me CEO. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my decision. Ugh. You're the one who likes her. I mean, listen, I like her in my way of liking her, meaning that I have no illusions about like how fucking annoying she is and who like who exactly she is. I just think that Gwyneth Paltrow is always going to be polarizing and, and polarizing people are interesting to write about. Like, fuck, I mean, listen, it is fun to hate on Gwyneth Paltrow and to point out how really fucking unrealistic she is. But this 
because our podcast is about work and about showing your work and about stepping into your role and your title, this like eight-line exchange about whether or not it would be okay for her to have CEO beside her name would, despite the fact that she bothers you, would it bother you that Gwyneth Paltrow called herself the CEO of Goop, which is a website she founded, and nobody's disputing that? No, I'll tell you what bothers me, which of course is what bothers you. First of all, let's put aside the contents of the eight lines in the discussion. In your retelling, in your reading of it, she initiates the discussion. Have we discussed this, she says, i.e. she brings it up for the ears of the press who is sitting there. It's yes. so, so contrived. It's like a grade seven mean girls thing where you know that somebody's calling you on three-way. It, I find it so... Performative. And, yeah, but also and really unsophisticated for somebody yes. who's supposed to be all about A like, CEO, essentially. Sure. There's no actual savvy there. There's no, you know, business acumen about how to... Look, I get that there are things, I don't think there. Are, this is one of them, but I get that there are things that you want to sort of reveal in a subtle way. I This is not subtle. This is not well done. And it's not best served by being wedged in the middle of the New Yorker article. Aside from which, who whines? You guys are giving me Agatha. Like, why do you want that person as your CEO? Why do you want to work for that person? Well, and this is what I mean. Like, this is the New Yorker. And maybe some people don't care about the New Yorker, but it's still the New Yorker. The New Yorker has come to Gwyneth Paltrow's headquarters to write a piece about her new launch of vitamins in the New Yorker. And you let that reporter see or you perform for that reporter some sort of shyness or, uh, I don't know, like modesty about not wanting to be the chief executive officer of the company you founded. If I'm one of those venture capitalists who kicked $15 million her way, I'm like, what the fuck am I paying for? Well, and the counter-argument to that, and you know I can't bear her, but the counter-argument to that is, oh, it's on brand, right? It's shy. It's retiring. People just think I'm a mean girl. I'm not really. My question is, again, I, I cannot say enough how much I can't bear her. What button does that push for people? Nobody really believes that she is their best friend, right? Like, nobody believes they can live like her. I sent you a real estate listing of uh, the conscious uncoupling pad that we will put up. And it looks like Alice in Wonderland come to life. Like the couch is suspended from the ceiling. The, the rooms are like floating marshmallows. There's no acknowledgement that this person lives in a way that is anything like ours. So what is the false modesty supposed to achieve? How, to whom... Is it saying, I'm non-threatening, you can be my friend, which I assume is the point, right? Okay, so here's one. We've thrown out comparisons all day. So what she was doing, that technique, if you want to call it that, was that the Ivanka Trump styles? I, mm, no. I mean, I yes, mean, but right? no. Yeah, but… No, because I think that, 
I don't know. I think that it's comparing apples to elephants a little bit. I know what you're getting at in yeah. the sense that Ivanka's whole thing is a performance. No, but it's also, uh, I'm rich, I'm a CEO, but I'm not threatening to you. Right. But but I guess the difference to me is that if if I'm being honest, and please do not email me about what I'm about to say, if I'm being honest, Ivanka's... Uh, performance is more palatable in the sense that it is straightforward. That at least she's performing the thing that I don't buy straight to the camera, straight to you. Uh, This play acting where in theory, Gwyneth Paltrow, Oscar winning actress, forgot that there was a reporter there and is acting with her friends, hoping out of the side of her eye that you will hope that she's charming or attractive or will catch this and put it in the article. Uh, it just seems so junior. It's, you know, at least if you are a, you know, the the figurehead of a horrible totalitarian political family, you just sort of accept that figureheadness and go ahead and, and do your job as terrible as it is. This sort of, it's not even a good strategy. Well, not in this publication. In any publication. But again, who is an earnest Gwyneth Paltrow fan? I'm not... I ask questions like that and it sounds like I'm going to mock. No, I would argue that in certain publications, like whatever, Red Book or whatnot, this sense of like, oh, you know, I'm just... This is my passion and like, you know, taking on the CEO, it just give, it's giving me like so much stress, you know, I'm just doing for my passion. I think that would land a little lighter. Okay, but that's going to, that's, but that's the same question in a different way. To whom is this supposed to appeal? Listen, uh, it's not appealing to me. It's not appealing to me. Okay, but if you are a Gwyneth Paltrow fan, like, can you tell me what it is I'm missing or what it is about that sort of uh, attitude that feels appealing. Um, And look, we all have our own like weird people crushes. So I'm not trying to, I just don't get it. And so I'm curious. And then I point to you that I don't know if she has the sophistication to determine, to sort of distinguish between Red Book and The New Yorker. Uh, I don't think that this is the thing that you do in this way. I don't know either. And yet, in spite of this, I think these vitamins are going to sell. Sure, but sometimes I don't understand what the brand is. So then does it matter? Oh, God. But again, who's buying them? I opened Goop as we were talking, and surprise, surprise, uh, it's not about cupping, and it's not (laughs) about like, uh, I don't know, like an an herbal boob steam. Uh, It's actually about, um, oh my God, are you showing me your cup right now? Look at your cup that's happening. Did you do this just in time for this podcast? I did it on the social. Anyway. The Goop homepage is all about sex. How to have casual sex. Orgasm equality. Reality check. Anal sex. Does any of this say anything that has anything to do with Gwyneth Paltrow and what I assume are four-figure vitamins? No. So what's the... What? What is it? Who are her people? Who are her customers? If I'm a venture capitalist, somebody bought what she was selling and said, you know, Goop the brand is X, Y, and Z, right? We see this all the time. We see it with Lena Dunham and Lenny. 
We know what all these sort of side brands of people are. We get it. This is what the brand is. What is this brand? Who is it for? Who buys it? Look, I actually think the vitamins are more in line with the brand than the anal sex. I agree, but I don't know where the cro- – what's the Venn diagram <laughs> yes. of both? Yes. Where vitamins and anal, anal sex meet – Sorry, Probably. you can have anal sex and enjoy vitamins. Yes. I know this. We're anal, we're anal and vitamins and Gwyneth meat. That's what your question is. That's right. You can see Gwyneth and vitamins. You can see vitamins and anal. But can you see anal, vitamins, and Gwyneth? It's like that old thing of like <laughs> fast, cheap, and good. Pick two. Um. <laughs> and that's – you're right. And that's what it is. Like the big question here as we get back to the work is – you know, there are some good directions, but overall, the direction seems not just in what she says in this in this article in The New Yorker and how she plays off, but we are all over the place. I'll get behind for her brand. Of course, Gwyneth Paltrow is going to recommend a jade egg that you pull it up your fucking hoo-hoo. Like, I can't believe you just said hoo-hoo. That's not like you. Whatever. Um, I don't know why I said hoo-hoo either. I should have just said your pussy. Um, anyway… I think it was because I needed to swallow. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, but again, it's all the on the week that you're pushing your on the week that you're pushing your vitamins, your site goes with anal. And look, as as I said, we're I do not have fifteen million dollars to invest in Gwyneth Paltrow. If I did, like you, I would be more likely to lean into the cookbooks and the like, the quinoa muffins and whatnot. I can get behind, but somebody was pitched a version of what the next six months would look like and went, yep. So what did they know that we don't know? I don't know. I don't know. This is like all kinds of confusing to me. I read this article expecting to be like amused in the way I'm always amused when I read a Gwyneth Paltrow article, like, oh God, I roll, here she goes again. I wasn't expecting to be like angry in the sense of you're also a person who's out there all the time talking about women and assertiveness, and I think that she's actually hung out with uh, Sherry before. Sure, but do you mean I Cheryl? called her Sherry, but <laughs> in my mind she's Sherry, but her name is actually Cheryl. Um, yeah, but Cheryl has <sighs> has backtracked quite a bit since oh, the heady yeah. days of lean in. Yes. Um, anyway, so. And then to say in an article, and we have talked about this on this podcast before about owning it and about just taking, to be in this article, have somebody at your meeting with your staff in which you were launching a brand new product. And it's baffling to me that you would stumble on taking on the title and putting it out there. Oh. When you could stumble over a pelvic floor exercise tracker. Is like a Kegel tracker? Is that? Yeah, there's like a Fitbit for your cooch. I'm going to make you put this link up as well. A Fitbit for cooches? Yes. Like she's selling that? Look, yeah, it looks like a little, look, it looks like a little bracelet that counts your Kegels. Like, come on now. I'm just happy that we're not fighting over the pronunciation of Kegels and I got it right. I don't, whatever. <laughs> okay, we can't top this. We cannot possibly top where she has led us. I did not expect this at all. All right. We'll move on. Um, I actually wanted to talk about something that we've gotten a lot of emails about this week. This week, The Superficial, two writers who've been writing and posting on thesuperficial.com. Which is uh, what for the uninitiated? 
The Superficial uh, is a gossip blog. It's been around since uh, 2007. Mike Redman uh, is the guy who, who started it, who was writing on it. And then later on, he brought on his friend. His friend's name is Photo Boy for, you know, that's what he was known as. And the superficial was a destination for many people who visited gossip blogs. And back in the early days of gossip blogs, you know, Laney Gossip started in like 2004-ish, right? And around that time, uh, I was, you know, part of the first wave of gossip blogs. There was Laney Gossip, there was Perez Hilton, there was Just Jared, there was Pop Sugar. And then there was a second wave and a third wave. And now you know everybody has a blog, right? Well, yeah, but blogs are not blogs so much, right? Like- right. But now you know that there's so many entertainment blogs and so many uh, gossip outlets. And you guys all wound up kind of being if not friends, like of a class, right? Like everybody was kind of aware of each other and you all kind of like chatted back and forth or whatnot? Well, we were we were the first. So we wanted to support each other. You know, it was like, hey, this is who I'm reading and I like Michael K's take on this. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't write this story better than Michael K. Read Michael K. And you guys all had like your own unique, styles and brands and whatnot, right? There were no two that were, I'm sure there were several that were alike later on, but in the beginning, that's kind of what makes a wave, right? Each one is a little bit different. All of us had very distinct voices, I would say. Mm -hmm. So uh, Michael K. had delisted is, I mean, Tina Fey has shouted him out in Bossy Pants. Like he's in the book. Um, So he's almost a comedy writer. He's so funny and he's gay. So there's that slant there. And then I'm, you know, that fucking snarky asshole. Um, And then, you know, Pop Sugar and Just Jared were nicer, you know, like it was very matter of fact. And there was a pro angle there. So what did it make you think then about the superficial this week? Well, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because we did get a lot of emails from people who were curious, like, how is the gossip landscape changing? Because, of course, it's not just the superficial that's changed. They were bought out. So Mike and Photoboy, Mike Redman and Photoboy have announced their departure, but the superficial still exists, but it's under new management. But, of course, as you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen many sites go away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gawker, for its own reasons, and, you know, we don't need to go into the legal or whatnot, but Gawker was one of the first wave as well, Right. A big, big brand. Yes. A big, big brand. Um, not a gossip site per se, but definitely pop culture, The Toast. Oh, God, The Toast. How much I love The Toast. Hillary Clinton wrote the farewell for The Toast. So The Toast was part pop culture, a feature for writers, a lot of uh, primarily female writers, right? Yeah, The Toast, uh, Mallory Ortberg and Nicole Cliff who I have to say is Canadian, Um, it was essays, it was funny, it was everything, yes, from a pop culture slant, like slash sent through uh, an MA in philosophy. It was amazing. It was delicious. It was ultimately not sustainable, which is something that really interestingly Mallory and Nicole chose to write about. They uh, did. The economics of running a blog in in today's world. 
And then, of course, there are so many others, right? Like Grantland. Uh, R.I.P. Grantland. People still miss Grantland. Again, it was started for sports, but they branched out quite quickly to pop culture, to movie reviews, to podcasts. People loved Grantland. I loved Grantland. Of course. And all of this conversation stems back to the granddaddy of pop culture sites, Television Without Pity, the original recipe, 15,000 word television recaps that they posted. They had hundreds. As you know, they evolved from being Mighty Big TV to Television Without Pity. Then they themselves were sold to Bravo. And uh, the spirit of the site stayed around for a while and then it didn't. I actually have the fondest memories of Television Without Pity. And the fondest memory I have is I was in Cannes one year and I broke my arm. And I had to spend, um, well, the first night alone, they took me to the hospital. Um, Laura and Dylan took me and they had to leave me at the hospital at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And it was this like old falling apart hospital. My roommate was like literally 95 years old. It was dark. I was scared. I had to have surgery the next morning and I was really, really upset. And I remember texting you. Um, and telling you what happened. I have to have surgery. And you were like, okay, it's going to be fine. I know you're not going to be able to sleep. So here are some links. And you sent me all the links to, I think it was Friday Night Lights. Probably. I mean, I watched the show, but I had never read the Friday Night Lights recaps. And these are, if you want to go dig these things up, they are, they are works. Um, they are, there's a, a place that you can find them uh, called Brilliant But Cancelled. And you can find these page of sometimes 15 pages for an hour. Oh my God. And it took my Blackberry forever to load the pages, but it was honestly like you kept me or television without pity. You sending me those links kept me like sane. That was one of the greatest uses of uh, time differences, transatlantic time differences, I think that's ever worked out really well for us. Yeah. It, and so television without pity is now no longer... Um, so we've just named a host of sites, the most recent, superficial, and it's still there, but again, the spirit of it, as many of you have shared with me this week, is gone. And a lot of you have been asking, what does this mean for gossip blogging? And how does it work? And, you know, is it going to be okay? Mm-hmm. So this is work. You know, gossip blogging for better or for worse, has become a career for some people. Me. Sure. And entertainment blogging and culture blogging. That's and, right. You know, gossip is one arm of that, but I don't think we should imply that only gossip is uh, being… Threatened. That's right. Yeah. And threatened by… And so the next question is, what is the threat? You mentioned earlier that Mallory and Nicole from The Toast were very forthcoming about mm-hmm. their struggles. Mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate on that? They were just very clear that, you know, the internet being what it is, trying to pay writers what that is, and writers wanting to earn what they're worth, and and editors of of quality sites wanting to pay them, unless you're a big, big, huge brand with, you know, sort of all kinds of income, it's not financially viable. Nicole Cliff published an article that I hope we can find and link to where she basically said in so many words, uh, my husband kept our site afloat because 
people make things because they want to make things, right? They're a labor of love. Um, it's not until after they become profitable that somebody says, well, maybe we can buy this and like, you know, put our name on it or somehow profit from it or whatnot. But nobody goes into this business because it's a real sound financial investment. True? True. I mean, that's certainly how it started with Laney Gossip. It was passion. I mean, I had a full-time job and then I would get off work at that full-time job, come home at 5.30 and then write Laney Gossip in its early stages from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, or maybe even later. So yeah, it is, it, it is passion. You do it because you really want to do it. I don't know if I read that article that you are talking about that Nicole wrote, but she also shared all of this in a series of tweets. Maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Um, it was two years ago or so. It was probably about six months or so before the toast shut down. Six, Yeah, six, six months to a year before the toast shut down. And it was a series of tweets, maybe like 10 to 15 of them. I showed Yasik, I remember, where she broke down, like, this is what's hard. Um, I actually run this site with Mallory, but as a feminist, I have to be supported financially by the man in my life. That's the only way it can survive. Sometimes she shared how she struggled with that sometimes. That's right. It was, and you sent it to me mm-hmm. because obviously. It has made an indelible impression on me, not just yes. because of, you know, the, the economics of this particular type of creativity and the fact that, you know, when we look back in 40 years, we'll still know that this sort of method of communication was in its infancy, but the fact that nobody talks about this kind of thing and that she was so straightforward. I don't know if she said it overtly, but the underlying sentiment was because all of you are talking about how cool this is and how you want to have blogs just like me and I want you to know what you're up against. And I found that really exciting uh, because that's the polar opposite of Hollywood. Hollywood doesn't tell you what you're up against, right? They tell you anybody can do it, anybody can make it that quote of Beyonce's that we love, you can all be just like me. And this is the opposite of that. And this is the truth that no matter what you want to do, that is your passion, that is your, your dream is that there's passions and dreams. And as soon as it becomes your career, as soon as you are in the position that we're very, very lucky to be in respective positions of where you get to do your dream all day, it becomes about economics and it becomes about uh, a job and it becomes about the parts of a job that are, you know, they're the, the other side of things and just as vital to making everything run. I want to add here too is that, you know, when you talk about what's sexy and what's vital... For us at Laney Gossip, the most important thing that we find sexy and that we find vital is writing. It has become more and more common in the writing business for writers not to be paid per word. And the value of each word is going down. We all have heard that even though, you know, the New York Times subscriptions are surging right now after the Trump election and whatnot, For a while, the trend was that newspapers and magazines were a slowly declining business. Oh, slowly nothing. There you go. Print was hemorrhaging. Sorry, print. (laughs) You guys said it first. But yeah, that was a known thing, right? That's right. The written word didn't have what it had. And or 
uh, baby boomers, demographics, blah, 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 whatever, and or a generation of writers was being brought up on learning to write on listicles, right? That's and right. And like, which I don't know what a listicle pays, but not a lot. So there was a time before the hemorrhaging of print, uh, writers that wrote for newspapers and magazines were paid a very fair amount per word. That has steadily gone down dramatically. Right. And so it is not the industry standard for online writing, strictly online writing. I'm not talking about a newspaper that also has an online edition, but online writing for writers to be paid per word. Right. Laney Gossip pays per word. We are probably one of the few online properties that pays per word. And I'll tell you a story. Yasik once went to a conference of publishers, of online publishers, and, you know, what you do is you share your best practices. And he was told by another publisher that he was stupid for running a business that paid writers per word. And he came back and told me this, not to change my mind, but to just let me know what the industry standard was. And we both agreed. I said to him, I am a writer. So there is no way that I'm going to undercut people in my profession. And I wonder, because going back to Nicole at the Toast, and she talked about valuing writers, and she talked about the cost of having that kind of content, the level of content that the Toast provided, that balance of keeping up the standard and fairly compensating people and trying to keep up, period, and stay afloat, man, that is the work. And you know what? What makes me so happy about the value of writers that we try to uphold on Laney Gossip is when I see, you know, an article in The Guardian that is published this week on um, the, the director who uh, just did Thor 3. I can't say the name of the movie. It starts with an R and it, it R-A-G something something, so I'm not going to bother, but it's Thor 3. And the director, uh, Taika Waititi, um, there's a profile on him in The Guardian, and Sarah, who has been writing about him and about Thor 3, was quoted in the article as a film critic and clearly as an expert on the film. That gives me tremendous... Um, I don't want to sound patronizing, but a tremendous sense of pride. Well, and because this is one of those sites, you know, you separate the sites, all the ones that we talked about, there are many sites that are successful that aren't based in writing, right? But the ones that we talk about and the ones that we love are based in the long read, the juicy one that you dig in. You're like, who wrote this? And you scroll up to the top. What I love about that is that when you get to know those names, Gia Tolentino or Haley Malotech or Jasmine Hughes... These writers who, you know, you've been reading for a minute, who then turn up in The New Yorker, in The Washington Post, writing for NPR. You're kind of like, okay, these are the places where you cut your teeth, and now here is the very big and important writing that you're doing. See also Teen Vogue and how everybody's like, how is Teen Vogue so amazing? This is where this stuff is growing. See also Roxane Gay. I mean, Roxane Gay is the Roxane Gay we know now, but she's been writing online for a long, long time. Um, and I've said before that the internet, I mean, listen, there are downsides to the internet, but one of the big upsides to the internet is that 
women have been able to write and develop their writing voices and go on to become voices that we look to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very, it's a forgiving medium in the sense that when you're doing something every day, writing a new post every day, you get better quicker. You get to try stuff. You get to do things. And you become the person that you're going to become voice-wise. And it's great to watch. Oh, Katie Weaver, Gawker to GQ. There you go. Sure. One of millions. Send us your favorites. Send us your favorites and support them. I guess what I'm trying to say here is if you like the writer and that person is always someone you go to and you can't wait to read what she has to write next, keep supporting her. Keep visiting those sites. Yeah. Tell people, big them up. You know, people get into their circles. Um... So the more you sort of share, the more you tweet, the more you talk about the places you go, the stuff that you love, the better chance it has to grow to an even bigger audience. And finally, the portion of our show that we have called, Do We Need to Care About? I thought you were going to call it, uh, and speaking of stuff we love, I thought we were going to just sort of (laughs) jump right in there. So? I mean, we care about it. As of this airing of this podcast, you have approximately six days to catch up on Big Little Lies. If you haven't been there, if you haven't cared, there have been six episodes. The finale is this Sunday. You theoretically could watch one per day. I don't know how you'll hold yourself back from watching only one per day and be ready for the finale on Sunday. I... Listen, last night was episode six. Um, Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about what happened last night. What was the scene that jumped out at you? Not the the one that that jumped out at you. Uh, I I have three. But yeah, we talked over text about one. Right. Um, So the one that surprised me the most, and we should say in case this hasn't been clear, that we're book readers of Big Little Lies. We have read the books. We know what's going to happen. This is not us talking about Game of Thrones. And a change in this uh, a change in this version of the story is that the confrontation with Abigail about the website and about selling her virginity online uh, goes on for some time and it gives Nathan and Bonnie, i.e. Zoe Kravitz, a chance to kind of get in there and mix it up with sullen teenage Abigail a little bit. Uh, So that one really stuck out for me because that doesn't exist as written in the book. I think for me, as it pertains to that storyline, I don't also remember it being in the book Reese's confession to her child. No, no, no. None of that is there. Nor is the... um, there was some prop, uh, are we just going for it? There was some prop vomit. Uh, and <laughs> that was not in the book either, as far as I remember. I I quite, like, I actually had to watch that scene back a few times. The, like, Reese's confession. Um, coming at a moment where she was like, don't fuck up. Right. I know about fucking up. Yeah. I, yeah, it... it I have felt really, uh, I've really enjoyed the actress who's played Abigail. I've bought their relationship. I'm not sure that I was, uh, uh, God, we're so boring. Reese Witherspoon is so great in this role that sometimes if she's on screen with somebody who isn't as magical, 
I'm aware of the imbalance. See also the scene where the director's wife confronts her. Uh, I know that it was what it was supposed to be, but the director's wife was not as good an actress. So it was an uneven scene that was not supposed to be, or that was supposed to be uneven in a different way. Well, and that's, I guess that's why you need a Laura Dern or a Nicole Kidman to balance out like that. Wow. The ferociousness of Reese Witherspoon's performance on this show. But I guess for me, where the balance came on this show in terms of acting to other scenes, um, I'll start with Laura Dern and Shailene Woodley. Mm-hmm. In like when Shailene shows up in the, at, house. At, yeah. in the house. That was stand up like two giants face to face to me. Yeah, it was a great, great scene. You see everything in it, right? You see their age difference, their financial difference. It's so clear who they come from. And that's also really elegant screenwriting, by the way. Uh, I talked a little bit about how long a page is. I'm, uh, depending on what you write, you can maybe get sort of two, four, you can maybe get 12 lines on a page, maybe six per each. And they basically get to a place of understanding in a little over a page. Why are you here? I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. He's kind of fine. How do you think I feel? My daughter's being hurt. I'm so sorry. Beat. That's all it took. That was so elegant and spare and less is more. It was really, really nicely written and performed. I agree with you. And then the scene that in many ways so far I think might be the one I'll remember most on a show that has been full of scenes mm-hmm. that you remember is uh, this latest therapy session between um, Celeste, Nicole Kidman, and her therapist. Specifically when, um, specifically when the therapist starts walking her through what kind of questioning she would get in a custody battle. Right. The, she plays the lawyer. She plays the lawyer. Why didn't you tell anyone? But you said he was such a loving husband. But you said he's a great father. Mm-hmm. Did you show anybody your bruises? Did you take pictures of your bruises? How come you, how come you still look so happy with him? It was so encompassing of everything that we've been, I guess, living with for the last two or three years. Emily Doe. Mm-hmm. Gian Gomeshi. Mm-hmm. Basically Gian Gomeshi. Well, and every other story, right? Like every smaller story. You know, what I thought about there was all the uh, the clickbaity videos that are videos that show somebody in a position of authority doing some wrongdoing that we would never know about if not for the fact that we all carry camera around, uh, cameras around now. Um, it's that, right? When if it's your word against his, well, why didn't you listen to the police officer? Why didn't you you know, do what he asked you to. What kind of a tone did you use? All of that is so, so present. And it's kind of interesting because, yeah, living with two adults in their own home is one of the few places where there aren't those videos, where those aren't uh, as likely to come out. It's still sort of the last behind closed doors. Well, again, yeah, it is, as to your point, to get lingo, slang, pop culture here, it is a place with no receipts. Ah, right. Yes. And this, I think, is the, the, the thing that 
we watch over and over again in small increments or in lesser, I guess, you know, not as profound ways, right? What do you mean? Uh, Angelina Jolie always said that he was a great father. How come, how come all of a sudden? Mm. All of mm-hmm. a sudden, he's an asshole? Um, she used to, you know, kiss her brother and she's manipulative and controls the media. So, I mean, she always said he was a wonderful father. And this is the way through Celeste we are seeing how women are punished not only by their abusers, but they're punished by their love of their abusers. So what did you think Celeste was thinking during that sort of pummeling that she was getting? We hear, well, you're a lawyer. You know what you're in for. Uh, she's a smart woman. Uh, where did you think her mind was? Because one of the things, of course, that is happening is they keep this show, they keep Celeste in particular, so opaque. We don't have flashbacks the way we do with Jane, and we don't have Madeline who tells us everything about everything. So what did you think about where Celeste was? Did she think that won't happen to me? I'm not that woman? I still think that in a way she was there still, yes. Um, I think the two key lines that you just said, one of them, uh, was you're a lawyer, Celeste, you know this. Mm -hmm. But there was also a line that came before where the therapist said to uh, Celeste, it always amazes me, and I'm paraphrasing, it always amazes me that you can speak of yourself with such great Mm self-awareness and yet still be in such denial. Because Celeste had just told her, I guess I don't want people to know that my life isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. And the therapist's response was, that is such a self-aware statement. You've just called yourself out on, on your facade. And yet, you're in a place of self-denial that we still haven't been able to break through yet. So those two lines, I think, were the setup for, again, the monologue and walking her through what a court situation would be like. Do I think that Celeste got there afterwards? Probably not. But I think that that's what she called back to afterwards, after the, the incident with the hospital and all that. You know, we're really, we're running really tight on time. But oh, just with that last line about the self-aware comment, I'm of two minds. I remember when I watched it kind of being like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That is self-aware. Uh, at the time, I kind of bought it. Now I kind of wonder if it's a bit convenient writing. Uh, It's a quick therapy scene. We need to get a lot done. So we jump to a place where she's self-aware. I don't know now in the light of the kitchen uh, whether I think that is sleek or not. Uh, I am a big addict for therapy shows, which is to say if you haven't seen In Treatment, which is kind of the granddaddy of the affair in many ways, uh, those long probing scenes literally are a therapy session over an hour uh, with Blair Underwood or Alison Pill or Mia Wasikowska or Pick Your Poison. Um, and so I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, I would like to know what you guys think. Would the, was that line like kind of skillful and wonderful or were you like, mm, thank you, she had to say that line so that we could get to the next point? So the question... Do you need to care about Big Little Lies? If you don't already, start. The last thing I will say, uh, have we looked at how long Sunday's episode is? Like the season finale? Yeah. It doesn't say. I mean, it starts at the regular time, 9 o'clock. There's a lot to get done. Is, no. is Girls over yet? No. 
So, I mean, it starts at 9 o'clock. They wouldn't push girls back to 11. So, in theory, it's an hour. I guess so. Um, so, yeah, they're whatever they're going to wrap up, like trivia night, all that, it's going to be done in an hour. Okay, here we go. On that note, thank you for joining us. Now you know what our week looks like. Tell us what yours looks like. Show us your work. Send us your emails, your tweets. Follow us on iTunes and Google Play. And we will see you next time. Thank you.